Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. And this is going to be one of those painful sermons. You know, some, sometimes you can listen to a sermon and think, well, I feel sorry for that person at the end of the pew because I know they've got a problem here. This is definitely a universal kill-all topic. The cure for your worries. Hudson Taylor, founder of the China Inland Mission, believed God. He believed in God's promises, in the fact that God says in his word that he is going to provide for us. And he believed that. He believed that so definitively that he decided that he would never ask anybody for help other than God, either for himself or for his ministry. And in all of his years of ministry, guess what? God always provided. In a letter dated November 18th, 1857, Hudson Taylor wrote this. This was just common of one of the many episodes in his life. Quote, many seem to think I am very poor. This is true enough in one sense, but I thank God it is as poor yet making many rich. My God shall supply all my needs to him be the glory. I would not, if I could be otherwise than I am entirely dependent myself upon the Lord and used as a channel of help to others. On Saturday, we supplied as usual breakfast to the destitute poor who came to number to the number of 70. Sometimes they do not reach 40 at other times exceeding 80, 80. They come to us every day. Lord's day accepted for them. We cannot manage to attend to them and get through all of our duties too. Well, on that Saturday morning, we paid all expenses and provided ourselves for the morrow after which we had not a single dollar left between us. How the Lord was going to provide for Monday. We knew not, but over our mantelpiece hung two scrolls in Chinese character. Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he kept us from doubting for a moment. That very day, the mail came in a week sooner than was expected. And Mr. Jones received $214. We thanked God and took courage. On Monday, the poor had their breakfast as usual, for we had not told them not to come, being assured that it was the Lord's work and the Lord would provide. We could not help our eyes feeling, filling with tears of gratitude when we saw not only our own needs supplied, but the widow and the orphan, the blind and the lame, the friendless and the destitute together provided for by the bounty of him who feeds the ravens, end quote. You know, when you read stories like that, I don't know about you, but it just kind of just makes you want to be in that place where you just get to trust God and where the only way that you can be provided for is God and God only. I mean, do you kind of feel that way that it just be kind of really neat to just experience that? Well, I have news for you. The only way you can survive even in a fluent America is with God and God only. Do you believe that there is nothing 
you need that God will not provide? Do you believe that everything you have, God has provided? Do you know that your heavenly father approves of all trials that come your way, of all sickness, of all of the circumstances in your life, God knows all about them, knew all about them before the foundation of the world, and he has chosen to let them come your way for a purpose which you probably do not know and which you may never know this side of glory. Is that the God that you believe in? We read stories like the one I just read and You just see these different Christians who are just rocks in the storms of life. These trials come upon them and they just resolve. We would be pulling our hair out and in the fetal position in the corner crying. Sometimes, though, God doesn't provide like you think he should. But you know that God is all-knowing and all-wise. And so whatever way he does provide is the best. Sometimes... We wish that he would answer our prayers in a certain way, but he doesn't. But we know that the spirit intercedes because we don't know how to pray as we should. And whatever we end up getting is better than what we wanted because God only does what's best. Well, Jesus this morning in our text gives us an incredible batch of information. He's summing up this whole section on fear. His disciples are sitting among angry religious leaders. They're sitting among this hostile, unbelieving crowd who don't want to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They just want more tricks, more miracles, and that's all. And they're feeling fearful because they have sided with Jesus against the crowd against the religious leaders and they're wondering what's going to happen to us. So Jesus has already addressed the fear of man. Jesus already has talked about the sparrows, that God takes care of them, about numbering the hairs of our heads, so surely he will take care of us. He's talked about the fear that tempts us to deny him. He has warned us about fear, which causes us to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He encourages not to fear when we are tried for our faith and brought before rulers and kings and courts and authorities because the Holy Spirit will come to our aid. And then right in the middle of Jesus's instruction, I mean, he's preaching to his disciples, but he's also preaching to the crowd. And as he's speaking to them, as he's speaking to the crowd, this man pops up and has the gall to say, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, I'm not an arbiter. I'm not a judge. But then he sees something very interesting. Little did the man know he fed right into the providential plan of God. And Jesus sees in this man greed, selfishness, and the fear of losing what he doesn't even have yet. And so he becomes the great illustration, so to speak, of those who fear What they don't even have. Amazing, isn't it? So Jesus keeps on talking about fear after he addresses that man's problem and pretty much everybody else's problem. And so look at your Bibles at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. Jesus has just 
talked about the parable of the rich fool, about not being rich towards God. And he says this. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself, not even Solomon, all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows what you that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, from this portion of Luke, Jesus basically gives us four steps to deliver ourselves from the sins of worry, anxiety, fear, stressing out, whatever you want to call it, so you can enjoy life. So you can devote more time to the things of God so you can give God glory. So you're not all tied up with yourself. And the first we come to in the text, look at verse 22, is don't worry. Imagine that. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry. About your life as to what you will eat. The word worry means to be overly concerned. To worry to the point of being anxious. To be stressed out about something. You know, sometimes you talk to people and go, are you fretting? No, I'm just concerned. (laughs) Well, whenever your concern gets to the place where you're sinning against God. Where you're not trusting God. When you're being caught up in what you have no control over when you're doubting God's promises, then it becomes sin. We all, we all need to be concerned. No doubt. You know, you don't want to be just crossing the street and say, look, God's going to provide for me. So I never look when I cross the street. (laughs) No, that's not good. That's foolish. It's just an over concern, an excessive concern. And the word life, which is very interesting here. Do not worry about your life. It's really the the world's soul. It's your spiritual being, your body, everything you are as a person. Don't be worrying about everything you are. And then he defines what he means by your soul. He says, and taking care of, he says, as to what you will eat. He's talking about food. Do you ever worry about food? Well, if you're in high school, you do. But yeah, you know, you, we worry about food, don't we? I mean, sometimes we just are thinking about what we eat, but a lot of times we worry about it. What am I going to have for breakfast? What am I have for lunch? What, what do, I need these certain things. And though we have a great abundance of food in our country, we still worry about it. I mean, we worry about 
you know, getting our meal just right when we go out to eat. We can order things. We only get this giant menu, you know, 500 choices. And of course, nothing's right because what we do order now, leave this off, substitute this, put this on, leave this on the side. You know, they can't invent a meal we want right. A lot of times we're very anxious about food, about just food. And it's not that any of us have starved to death. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. It's not like any of us are walking around with distended abdomens like the starving children in Ethiopia. But yet we still grow anxious. Soren Kierkegaard said, quote, no grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety. Oh, man, people are able to just torture themselves with anxiety. They torture themselves on the rack of their own griefs. Just they like they, it's like they create their own dungeon, go into that dungeon in their mind and then torture themselves. And you know what? All of that torture is unnecessary. They could deliver themselves anytime they want. Unshackle themselves, quit beating themselves, quit strangling themselves, burning themselves, whatever they're doing in their torture chamber. And just walk out and be free and fine. R. Kent Hughes in his commentary says, quote, warriors feel every blow that never falls. And they cry over things they never lose. I was doing a little research and you've probably heard things like this, but uh, you know, they say like, you know, 92% of things people worry about never even come to pass. 92%. Chances are you worried about something. It's just worthless. They said, and a lot of times people worry about things that have already come to pass. You ever try to change history by worrying in the future? It never works. Neither does worry change anything that's coming. Neither does worry change anything right now, except make you sin and miserable. I was thinking it might be a good little experiment if we could just all agree as a church to only eat rice for a week. That's all. Just white boiled rice. No salt, no teriyaki. No garlic sauce, just rice, rice for breakfast, rice for lunch, rice for dinner, dessert, snacks. But of course, you can never eat over one, like half a cup per serving, a very modest proportion. And all week long, we knew what we were having, rice. I can invite you over for rice. You can invite me over for rice. We could go out to dinner and have rice. That's all we can have and only a little bit for each meal. And at most, maybe three or four meals a day, if you, you know, count dessert. Now, a lot of people survive on less than that. And we would all come back next week. We'd still be alive. None of us would lose our salvation who are saved. We'd still be fine. I mean, think about that. Is that unrealistic? Well, I think, well, some of you are probably panicking at the thought of it. That's preposterous. (laughs) But why? I'll tell you why. Because we're spoiled rotten in America. We're spoiled rotten. You think, well, well, I'm not spoiled. Yes, you are. We all are. We live in America. You know, you go into the store. How many things do you want? What varieties you want? You know, there's a lot of people who don't have a store. 
They only have the bare minimum. You just need to do a little visiting in other countries, you know, when I go to Russia and, you know, here are the guys I'm teaching all week. They're wearing, wearing the same thing every day. Or there's some secretary there who's got this certain outfit. And when I come back two years later, she's still wearing it. Because that's all she's got. And you think, oh, that's not good. Well, we're not any happier. Do clothes make you happy? Does this great variety make you happy? No, no, it doesn't. Now, I think it'd be a good lesson if we all just, you know, maybe as a whole country were thrown into some tribulation and distress so we couldn't have what we want when we wanted it. You know, you need to talk to some senior citizens. I was thinking about that. Talk to some seniors. There's not very many left anymore um, here who grew up during the Depression. But just talk to them about the Depression, how it was, how hard it was, what they went without. And ask them, were you unhappy then? Are you more happy now? Did it, you know, what is the deal? I mean, why do you, why do you get aluminum foil and wash it and kind of spread it back out and put it back in your drawer? What is that? Um, they learned a lot of great lessons from the trials they went through. You know, when you start saving weird things like the little twisty ties, like, why do you say those? I don't know. We might need them. You know, weave them together into a rope or something. I don't know. Um, R. Kent Hughes tells a story of President Lincoln who was uh, traveling. It was right before the Civil War and he was going to a, a court session and they had to cross this large, formidable river, the Fox River. And it was the time of the year when it often flooded. And when it flooded, you just couldn't pass it. But he had to get to the court session. So both he and his travelers were a little worried. They, they hadn't reached the river yet, but they stopped at this little log tavern to lodge for the night. And there they met up with a Methodist preacher who was a circuit rider and in his pastoring in these different churches he had crossed the fox river many times and he said oh yes i know about the fox river i have crossed it often and understand it well but i have one fixed rule with regard to the fox river i never cross it till i reach it (laughs) now if you don't understand that one You need to listen to the tape a few times. We worry about things we never even get to. It's like, how am I going to get across the Grand Canyon? Well, I'm not traveling there, but how am I going to do it? We worry about things that never happened. We worry about crossing the Fox River. We're not even going to the Fox River. So don't worry about things that you don't even know are going to happen. Just... Be content with what is happening. Secondly, Jesus says in the latter half of verse 23, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Here you have one command, a present active command, always continually, don't worry. Two prongs. The first prong is for your life, what you shall eat for your body, what you shall put on. In other words, clothing. Now, I'm just glad we live in Burbank where no one is concerned about clothing or style. I mean, we worry when we have, I've only got 15 pairs of shoes. Oh, and three pairs of sandals and a whole walk-in closet full of clothes. We walk in there and we look around and go, I don't have anything to wear. (laughs) We're obsessed with clothing. In New Testament times, people often had two changes of clothing. 
One they would wear, the other a lot of times it was a nicer set that they might use for nicer occasions and they would just wear that while they were washing their old clothes which they wore all the time. Jesus is just talking about one set of clothing. He's talking about bare minimum food. Now think about this. If you are to be just relaxed and not concerned and not worry about bare minimum food and one set of clothing, then of course you should never worry if you already have an abundance. I mean, let's just add our little two sets of clothing to our rice for the week. Let's just say you get to pick whatever you work in, you get to wear that, and then you have one other kind of casual clothes, and then all week long, that's all we're going to wear. I mean, think about what would people think of you if they saw you come to work, you know, in that same suit every day, or or that same dress, or whatever. I mean, obviously, they'd think you were less of a person. Right? No. Um, they might not think you're fashionable. They might worry. They might scoff. They might whatever. But listen, uh, clothing doesn't make you. I'm sorry about all the design people. They want to, to tell you that clothing makes you. But that is the big fat lie, isn't it? That, you know, your, your sunglasses make you cool. You know, that, you know, your certain suit or your certain car or your certain whatever makes you cool, makes you acceptable, makes you fashionable. Well, it may make you fashionable, but what is fashion? Fashion is what is determined at the moment by those who want to make money off of you. And as soon as you get what they say is fashionable, they change it so you'll get something else. That's how they stay in business. Some of you, if you go away for the weekend, you have suitcases. <laughs> they could break the back of a mule. <laughs> I like it because I have children in my, my family who, one of them is kind of like that. The other one is like the minimalist. Tries to get everything in the smallest package possible. Well, it's only three days. He's got his little tiny little whatever. I won't talk about the person with the mule breaking sacks, but. <laughs> but it's wrong to be discontent. You can have an abundance. That's okay. The abundance is not the issue. We need to make sure we don't forget the Lord when we have an abundance. Remember when Israel was getting ready to go on the land and God said, I'm going to take you in the land of milk and honey. I'm going to give you those vineyards you haven't planted and the orchards you haven't planted and the cisterns you haven't dug, dug. And there's this great abundance that you're going to receive. And then what does he say? Beware. He says it over and over in Deuteronomy. Beware lest you what? forget the Lord. Why is that? Because as soon as people are given an abundance, they have this confusing thing happen. They think that their abundance came from who? From them. And when you're poor and there's no way you can provide for yourself, you know that what you have comes from who? God. So when God blesses us like he is and has in America... We forget him and the sign that we've forgotten him, that we doubt him and don't believe his promises is worry, anxiety, discontent, grumbling, and fear. 
All of those are the children of unbelief. And that's why Jesus says what he does. Now, if you're like me and you read a text like this, it's just, you know, I don't know. Just be thankful you don't have to prepare sermons and you have to like work on this over and over again. Because it works you over, over and over again. But, you, you know, you may be thinking, oh, what am I going to do? I wish I could be that kind of person. I, I'm great. Okay. I, I worry. I worry. You know, I mean, I admit it. I don't know what to do. I'm a warrior. What can I do? Guess what? Jesus is going to tell you. He's going to give us our little seven cures here for worry. So second point. See, this is how I make the sermon seem like it's only one, you know, four points. It's really 20. Um, the second point is seven cures to anxiety. <laughs> Seminary students, listen up. It's a technique. So you, people aren't overwhelmed. But look at verse 23. Verse 23. The first reason why you don't need to worry for life is more than food. Now, I think we all know that if you were to ask a junior hire, is life more than food? They'd say, no, duh. But here the word Jesus uses again is soul. Is the soul more than food? Your entire being more than food? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But how often... Do we worry about our food when we don't even worry about really what's going to help our soul? I mean, we're worried about where are we going to get our lunch, but we aren't worrying about when I'm going to have some time to spend with God or read my Bible or serve in the ministry or give or whatever. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4? You know, him and his disciples are traveling to go through Samaria. They stop. It's a hot day. They're, they're hungry. Jesus sends his disciples in to get some, some food. Um, and he's sitting there tired and thirsty. And the woman, Samaritan woman comes up and he says, Hey, would you mind getting me a drink? And she's just surprised, first of all, because Jesus is a Jew and J- She's a Samaritan and Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Secondly, because she's a woman and Jewish men uh, wouldn't even speak to a, a Jewish woman, let alone a Samaritan Jewish woman. So she's saying, well, how is it that you being a Jew speak to me a Samaritan? So they have this little dialogue. And Jesus says this in John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water then she's trying to figure out what this living water is because she wants this living water and then jesus goes on to say in verse verse 14 but whoever drinks the water that i will give him shall never thirst but the water that i will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life now get this if you know christ as your savior Not, do you know that Christ is the Savior? If you know Christ, not, do you know about Christ? Do you have an intimate relationship with Christ? Have you been born again? Have you been saved by grace? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior so that your life is changed? Not so that your profession is changed, but you change. 
You love your wife like never before. You love the Lord like never before. You pursue holiness like never before. You're different. You're changed. That's what we're talking about. If that's you, you have life. You have life. And no one can take that away from you. You, I could starve you to death, lock you up in a cell and starve you out. You'd still have life and you could never lose it. You just wake up better in another world, thanking me. Well, that was painful going out, but coming in's good. <laughs> you remember what Jesus said to Martha in John 11? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, what? Will live even if he dies. That's life. John 17.3, the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, this is eternal life. What? That you may know me. Or the only true God. And Jesus Christ, as he has said, he says, that's what he is, knowing me, knowing the Father. That is life. Not a hamburger. Macaroni and cheese. Or a filet mignot. <laughs> no, somebody's moaning back there. Are you sure? <laughs> With bacon wrapped around the outside. Yeah. Life is more than food. Secondly, so remember that when you're worrying, if it has to do with food, life is more than food. That's first cure. Secondly, look at the middle of verse 23, and the body is more than clothing. I mean, you need clothing to... You know, stay warm or stay cool or not get burned or protect yourself. I mean, that's not normal to be modest. But you know what? Your body doesn't know the difference between a 12 pair of jeans and a $100 pair of jeans. Your body doesn't know the difference between a $100 suit and a $1,000 suit. I mean, my body prefers old, worn-out cotton things. I mean, if I say, body, what do you like? I like those old, worn-out things that are made of cotton, please. I have some denim shirt, denim work shirts that I've had for 15 years. And I keep wearing them. Well, you know, we could replace those. They're pretty nice, though. They are dog ugly, but they feel good. <laughs> and since my wife has, you know, sworn to love me unconditionally, I keep wearing them. <laughs> but, you know, if you go into one of these really expensive, I've been into some malls where every store, I could never buy anything there. You know, they have $95 T-shirts. What is that? Or a $125 polo shirt. You know, what is that? You know what that is? That is your ticket to bragging about your wealth without saying a word. People come up to you, walk up and go, hey, how are you doing? It's like, whoa, he's got the, the logo, the little witchy sign on there. <laughs> Man, you paid 125 bucks for that polo shirt. You are dumb. <laughs> But it impresses people who think that logo is that much. You know, just stitch something on there. (laughs) The big fat lie from hell is that clothing makes the person. You know, no doubt clothing has an impact. No doubt if I was up here in my flip-flops and shorts and one of my 15-year-old work shirts, some of you would have a major distraction. So, I mean, it matters, you know. You could just imagine what would happen if, you know, 
there was a wedding and here comes the bride and the doors open and there she is in her, you know, denim overalls <laughs> and rubber boots, you know, I mean, it would be a distraction. So dress, dress matters to people. And yeah, we should dress appropriately, but not to attract attention to ourselves. And we should definitely not fret about it, worry about it, or grow anxious. If we don't have food, certain clothing or food, or if we, you know, have a lot and want more or whatever it is, we should just never sin about either food or clothing. So he says, life is more than food. The body's more than clothing. Remember those things. It'll probably take out about 50% of your anxiety right then. Three, look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you, are the, um, you are than the birds? So previously, Jesus spoke of sparrows, right? Here he speaks of ravens. Think, well, why does he pick ravens? Because ravens were unclean, according to Leviticus 11. They were unclean birds. You couldn't even touch them or you would be defiled. And yet, Jesus says, along with Psalm 147, verse 9, that God even takes care of unclean birds. It's like the rain falling on the just and the who? The unjust. So God's even concerned now about unclean birds. I mean, he'll take care of sparrows. He'll even take care of the unclean birds too. And so when you think about that, if God's going to take care of unclean birds, you might think, okay, now I'm one of his children. Um, He he sent Jesus to die for me. He didn't send Jesus to die for unclean ravens. Um, Maybe he likes me more than the birds. No, maybe about it. Of course he does. And so, you know, he's going to care for you. So stop worrying. One man said, I have a mountain of credit card debt. I've lost my job, my car is being repossessed, and our house is in foreclosure. But I'm not worried about it. Not worried about it, exclaimed a friend. No, I've hired a professional worrier. He does all my worrying for me. That way I don't have to think about it. That's fantastic. How much is your professional worrier charge for his services? $50,000 a year. $50,000 a year? Where are you going to get that kind of money? I don't know. That's his worry. <laughs> I just want you to know. God's our professional warrior. God is going to take care of us. God's going to watch out for us. God is the one who has already promised that he is going to provide for us and to not worry about these things. And so... When trials come into your life, you're thinking, how am I ever going to? You're not. You just have to say, God's going to have to do it. God's going to have to bring it. God's going to have to give me the grace. God's going to have to help me go without. God's going to have to get me through this. I may not know how, but you know what? If you doubt, if you worry, you fret. It's not going to change the situation or the outcome. It's just going to make you feel worse. It's going to be sinning. And it's not going to be an opportunity to give God glory. So don't worry. Look at verse 25, number four, the fourth cure. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? Here, the the Greek word is literally cubit, which is 18 inches. 
Some translations translate it hour, some cubit. Um, there's discussion about whether he's saying who, which of you by worrying, you know, can add 18 inches to his height. Um, most people think it's life span. Um, that's what I think it is. I've never known anybody who was fretting because they couldn't add a foot and a foot and a half to their life. I mean, I know some people wish they were taller, but usually that's not it. But I've known lots of people who wish they could add some to their lifespan, even a little bit. I mean, our whole culture is obsessed with it, right? You know, eat the right things, get the right exercise, you know, live longer, be healthy. You want to kind of just remind them there is a God who has numbered our days and we're not going to live even 30 seconds longer than he has decreed. And I think it fits the context better because what has he's just talking about the parable of the rich fool, right? And what did he have? Remember soul. He says to himself, soul, I've started many things. I've, you know, got all these things in my life and I mean my thing and I'll turn on my barns. I'll build bitter ones. And as soon as he does that, he's got all his goods piled up in his huge new barns. What happens? He dies. He dies and leaves all his goods behind his goods, his riches, his abundance wasn't able to prolong his life. Five seconds. Worry never helps. It only does the opposite. It only hurts, you know, when you, you, ulcers, panic attacks, high blood pressure. I mean, what does worry give you? Nothing but misery. And there's a multi-million dollar business that focuses around helping people try to overcome the sin of worry. It's like, here, take this drug. Doesn't work. Take that drug. Doesn't work. Oh, you're feeling anxious. You're feeling stressed out. You're feeling nervous. No, you're sinning and you just need to confess it and get right with God and trust him because he's the one who has always provided for you up to this moment. And he is the only one who will provide for you in the future. It's just the fact. And you have to get out of the world's mindset. You had to quit living like atheists, quit living like those who deny God exists and step out of that world and live in the real world that there is a God who is ruling all and he has promised to take care of us. Period. Don't doubt it. You might not get what you want when you want it or how you want it, but you're going to get what God wants you to have. So yeah, practice normal concern. Yes. Go to the grocery store. Yes. Go to work, but don't sin with concern, worry, fretting. It only demonstrates that you don't believe God will provide for you. Five. Look at verse 26. If then you cannot even they cannot do even a little thing. Why do you worry about other matters? This is brilliant. Think about this. Now, if you can't extend your life, or even if it's the other interpretation, increase your height by worrying, you know, just try this. Worry real hard for several hours and measure yourself before and after and see if it helps. It doesn't. Um, but if you can't increase your life by worrying, if you can't do a little thing, then why would you worry about bigger things? You were standing outside the church and I say, you know what I'd like you to do just because I'd like to see you do it. Could you just like jump up on the roof from here? And you say, what? What are you talking about? You know, just do like a jump up and just jump up on the roof and then look over the edge and wave. 
And you say, are you kidding me? I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's 30 feet up there. And I say, well, yeah, that, that would be pretty hard, huh? Yeah. And then you kind of bow your head and I go, what's wrong? You got the sheepish look on your face. Huh? I do worry sometimes that I can't jump to the moon. You, you can't do the little thing, but you're worried you can't do the thing that's impossible. Well, God says both are impossible without him. The little thing and the big thing. Only he can do it. It's not that you're in control when you're healthy and you have money in the bank and there's no problems in your life. That, that isn't the case. It's not that God is out of control until you need him and then you want him to be in control. He's always in control. He's always in control. He gives you everything that you have. All your intellect, all your breath, all your power to make wealth, all of that comes from God. It's just that an abundance makes us forget about God. That's the problem. You can't even do a little thing. So remember that when you start worrying about bigger things than increasing your life 30 seconds. Six, look at verse 27. If you don't want to worry, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory, um, not even Solomon in all his glory, clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? Now Jesus goes down the biological food chain. Sparrows, ravens, flowers. Probably not lilies is probably not a good interpretation. A lot of translations put that in there because an earlier translation did and the King James and it's kind of flowed down stream. Probably best is anemones. They're, they're really neat looking flowers. And I always think of it as a scarlet anemone. They're my favorite. Kind of the, just kind of the velvety red petals that kind of just go in, have a little bit of yellow towards the center and this black black dark black center with little yellow pollen stamens on there they are cool and what jesus says here is think about solomon the richest man who ever lived had more money than anybody else probably had a whole team of the world's best seamstresses weaving material and you know putting gold thread and making him this incredible wardrobe and they couldn't even match flowers in the field for beauty When he says here, consider the lilies, this is an exhortation to enjoy gardening. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Actually, it means to make close observation, careful search or inquiry into something to discover its finer points. And one of the things I like to do, I, I love flowers and I, sometimes at lunch when I don't have anything going on, which is hardly ever, um, I go out and I just go to some plant nursery and I walk around the flowers and I look at them. They are so cool. I love all that kind of designed symmetry in flowers. They are not only engineered for function, but beauty. The little tiny pollen anthers like oriental lilies are really cool. And you look and you see all that symmetry and all of that. It's like God creates in every flower a a wilting Rembrandt that you can't preserve. It's just there and it wilts. And then you pitch it into the fire. 
And his whole point is, is listen, if God takes care of flowers, the grass, the field that are to be burned up, then obviously he's going to take care of you. So stop worrying. And then he throws in the, you men of little faith, which is something that Jesus often referred to the disciples. We know this, for instance, in Matthew 8:26, he uses it to describe the disciples who are fearful of drowning at sea. And guess how many drowned? None. In Matthew 14:31, Jesus um, says this to Peter, who's walking in the water, begins to see the waves, gets scared, begins to sink. And guess what? He didn't drown. And then later on, after Jesus has been doing miracles all day, and he's doing all these miracles, then he says, get us something to eat. And there's this huge crowd of disciples are going, okay, all right, what are we going to do, guys? Okay, let's pool ours. Right, how much money you got? We, you know, we got $16 and 23 cents here. And uh, one of them's going, okay, let's see. Let me figure out this in my head. How many of that would take? We have 5,000 people. We got $16. That, that just doesn't work. Let's just say everybody in the crowd shipped in. We could go to the nearby town. No, no town at least not any nearby towns could have that much food. And we're in trouble. And they're having, they're fretting. They're worrying. They're anxious because they're going, man, how are we going to feed everybody? Man, we're out here on the sticks. There's thousands of people here and they're looking everywhere, but where? Jesus. God incarnate standing there with them. And they never even think about, hey, you've been doing miracles all day. Could you cook us up something? They never go to Jesus. That is phenomenal. And that's exactly what we do, isn't it? You, you know, you're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden you're, 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 you're just going to make your appointment, your super important appointment just on time. You're heading down the road and what happens? All of a sudden you turn the corner and down to a halt. Gridlock traffic. And what happens? What goes through your mind and heart? Praise God. Lord, I know you have something better for me than that really big business deal. I know my child is going to be getting out of school and standing there alone on the corner so that evil people can prey on them. But I know you're a God who takes care of all and I'm relaxed in you. Is that what you think? Why are you laughing? Because what we do is we pull out our hair. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you know what? As we're worrying and sinning, does does that make like the traffic just part? (laughs) No. We're still in the traffic. We still have to wait as long as God wants us to wait. And no worry, no fretting, no anxiety can change it. None. It's still the same. The only difference is we're sinning and not giving glory to God and feeling miserable. I used to paint houses when I was in seminary and there was this guy that I asked. He was, he was so laid back, just so laid back. And so uh, he didn't know how to paint very well. And I was telling him, why don't you just paint this little easy trim and by the front steps? Okay. He had set his paint pail up on the ladder and then he forgot it was up there when he moved his ladder. <laughs> and so he spilled a gallon of paint on the bricks in the front of this house. And so I've got my airless and I'm, you know, spraying the big parts on the side. And he comes around the corner. I got something to show you. (laughs) And I said, what? He says, you better come look. I walk around. Ah! 
wow, you know, wow, wow, you know, just, oh man, I was freaked out. Oh man. And he was just like, what do you want me to do? I want you to sin like I'm sinning. Like the time I had all my lumber in the back of my truck and it just decided to unload itself in the middle of Glen Oaks. Yes. Believe me, the thought that came to my mind was God is sovereign. He's in control. It's part of his will for my life today. No, we need to make sure that we don't immediately run to ourselves and our efforts and our worries to deliver ourselves. Worry and anxiety always follow unbelief. Seven, look at verse 29. Jesus' final cure for the sin of anxiety and worry. Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and do not keep worrying. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek and your father knows what you need. I mean, Jesus mentions food in verse 22. Don't worry about food. And then he talks about food again. You know, the ravens, God feeds the ravens. Now he's bringing it up again. Obviously, food was a big deal and it's still a big deal for us. And we have tons of food. Don't worry about food. And he uses two things to try and fix this here. Shame and rebuke. The first thing he says is for all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. Now, guess what this word nations means? Heathen. Pagans. That's what it means. Godless people. So, you get the point? For all of these things, the godless people seek. Which means, whenever we worry and fret, we're acting what? Godless. Heathen-like. <laughs> that is so bad. I just think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Remember when he's dealing with all the people who have been sucked into the Baal idolatry and he stands up in front of them and he says, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? He says that the Lord is God, serve him. And if Baal, then serve him. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. If God is sovereign, if God has promised, if God cannot lie, then trust him and quit worrying. If not, then worry yourself. Leave the church and go live for sin and Satan. But don't align yourself verbally here, but live here in the realm of unbelief. And then, if that wasn't enough... Jesus then rebukes us, but your father knows what you need. I mean, I know I could go to any one of you and ask you this question. Isn't it true that God will take care of us? And you would say with very pious drone, oh, yes, God is sovereign. Of course, he will provide for us. But you know what? Every time we worry, we deny it. Every time we're anxious, we deny that truth. So take your medicine. Remember life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. God feeds the birds. You can't lengthen your life by worry. God clothes the flowers of the field. God knows what you need. You remind yourself, you'll be well on your way. So what do you do? I mean, now you've, you've got all this time freed up. I mean, I'm not worrying anymore. I don't have any anxiety. What am I going to do now? I mean, I've, I've got tons of time. Well, there he tells us, third point, look at verse 31, seek his kingdom, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. What does that mean? Here again is a present active command. Always be seeking the kingdom of God. What does that mean? To just seek the things of God, 
to make disciples, to teach them and train them up in the things of Christ, to worship God, to pursue holiness and the fear of God, to live your life as a Christian, a real one, not just a professing one. That's what he's saying. Just seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to, you know, a while back, I don't know, it was years ago, there was that little ditty kind of a Jamaican tune song. Don't worry, be happy. You remember that one? Don't worry, be happy. I mean, this is a, it was such a bad song. I couldn't believe it was so popular. Anyways, <laughs> this goes to show. Um, but yeah, what Jesus is saying here is don't worry, be holy. And everything will be added to you. That's what he's saying. Don't worry. Pursue holiness. Seek his kingdom. And God's going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you. Take all of that energy, all of that mental energy, all the worrying, fretting, anxiety, stressing out. And take all of that and funnel it in giving God's glory. And believe me, he'll take care of you. And finally, fourth. Do not be afraid. Look at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. When he says, do not be afraid, the tense is is passive, which means don't let angry religious leaders, don't let unbelieving crowds, don't let any circumstances, trials, health issues in your life cause you to be afraid. And he uses a very endearing term, little flock. It's the only place in the entire New Testament, entire Bible where it's used. You are his little flock, little flock. Don't worry, little flock. I'm going to take care of you. He is the great shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And what do shepherds do? They feed and they protect. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're my little flock. Man, I am the great shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. And then they may be thinking, well, what if we do have to suffer things? What if we do lose things? What if, what if, what if? Quit worrying, quit being anxious. Remember this. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Not things in the kingdom, but the whole thing. Jesus, the angels, the saints of all the ages, and everything The omnipotence of God can give to those who love Christ. God has chosen to give you, not the angry religious leaders, not the unbelieving multitudes, but you little flock and only you get the entire kingdom. So what are you worrying about? You're going to get it all in the end anyways. So don't worry. Take your anti-worry medicine. Seek his kingdom. Don't be afraid. God takes care of his own. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what we learned in this text. What a great closing section on fear. I just pray, Father, that you would help all of us to see and realize when we are not trusting you, when our abundance, when our riches, when our accomplishments cause us to forget you, to not give you glory, to not acknowledge you. And Father, we then begin to worry about things we have no control over. Whether they be big things or little things, we worry, we are anxious, we lose our joy, we sin against you, we fail to give you glory, we live like heathen. Help us not to do that, Lord. Help us walk to walk before you in holiness, to trust you in all things, so that Jesus Christ might be glorified in us 
And the world may see a peace and calm about us that is so otherworldly, so supernatural that they might come and ask us about it. And we might be able to share the gospel and give you further glory still. Father, we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.